0: My local coffee shop is my Penn State World Campus Classroom, giving me the full Penn State experience online. My Penn State Classroom is getting me to where I want to be. Click on the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more.
1: Get a credit card that gives you what you need now, a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and a place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest rate credit card. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe.
2: On this edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast... We discussed the United States' 2-1 victory over Jamaica to claim their sixth gold cup. Michael Bradley was named player of the tournament only after playing in three games. U.S. Soccer Academy Director Jared Miklos called in to break down the structure of the academy, providing the positives and the negatives of the academy system in the United States. Lastly, we sat down with high school soccer coach and Region 2 Director for the Texas Association of Soccer Coaches, Fred Kaiser, to react to what Jared Meekles had to say and why youth soccer is struggling in the United States right now. All this on this edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast.
3: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I am Steven Jodderin. Across from me is my co-host, I'm Uncle
2: What's up, y'all? How are y'all doing today?
3: We have an exciting show in store for you, joined by fantastic people. Great discussion. But let's get straight to it. U.S. Men's National Team claimed their sixth Gold Cup, one behind Mexico. Now, yeah, I mean, so pre- pre- pretty good stuff. winning Pretty that good Gold st- cup, huh? Yeah, absolutely. But the score did not reflect. I mean, do you think it was people. an
2: impressive performance? Not at all. I, I th- thought it was like I thought it was like a, a normal like cup final. You know, it was a lot of nerves, a lot of t- like you don't want to mess up. But, well, I mean,
3: yes and no, but Cup Finals have been of recent. Now, if you go to Champions League, European Championship, World Cup, they've been relatively boring. But this one was boring. Like,
2: I mean, it, it, it was. It felt like a standstill. I mean, it was a good mix of Jamaica being very um, compact and very organized. Organized, very absolutely. Very organized. Applauds uh, to their head coach because they were a very organized squad. Um, They did the same thing against Mexico, and that's how they beat Mexico. And uh, the USA couldn't break them down at some point until the 45th minute when they broke through with uh, Josie Altidore's free kick. I mean, that was a hell of a free kick right there. You saw that. Yeah,
3: it was fantastic. I mean, in the first half up until that free kick, really nothing had happened. The most exciting play was Altidore's rifle to Blake, and then Kellen Acosta Mm -hmm. having the rebound and injuring Blake. His hand.
2: Andre Blake, by the way, my opinion was – Player of the tournament. Yes. He's kept Jamaica in so many games. He's a fantastic a lot, keeper. I think from, three shutouts. Oh my gosh! Like when I'm talking about this guy, made so many saves against Mexico, and you continued it against the United States until he uh, hurt his hand. Yeah, but
3: I mean, and that was that was the turning point of the game because I don't, you know, if you the game went on and the the Jamaican keeper came up to back up Blake. I mean, he
2: wasn't bad. I mean he wasn't Andre Blake's level. I think they needed an Andre Blake keeper to go ahead and defeat the, the mighty United States.
3: Right, right. But what well, was so up until that first half, nothing had really happened.
2: No, it was a it was a really like a like a standstill kind of. I mean USA was dominating the game, but it wasn't they weren't getting chances to score. Right. And if you're not getting a chance to score, but dominating possession, like what's the point? And mm-hmm. it was the perfect game for Jamaica because that – can lead to them stealing the game late, and they almost did that. To be honest,
3: no, yeah, I mean they did. So Josie Altador scores a spectacular free kick, which had a run up of inches, which to me was like anytime I see a player do a run up of just a couple of inches, I would say it's, it's either it's going to go in or it's just going to look horrendous. I like, blasted over the bar. Or something me like too, that. but he Dwayne Miller had. Dwayne Miller had no chance of of blocking that. I don't even think Blake did. I think that was just, just he got fingertips
2: onto it, but I think it was in the perfect position, yes. to, like just to beat him, if that if that makes any sense. But
3: it, you know, I don't think the U.S. deserved the goal at that point. I don't think they they you can obviously they were out they outmatched Jamaica on the talent level, and that that showed that moment of brilliance from Altador. Yeah, but other than that, sure. organization. Jamaica, they they held their own ground. So going into halftime, you know, U.S. up was U.S. being up on nothing didn't necessarily reflect that first half. But it was an important goal. Very the United important.
2: States. It was a very important goal. It it allows them it allowed them going to with a little bit of confidence. But I mean, that confidence went away when Jamaica came back and scored. Yeah, I was a little bit
3: surprised to be honest. The way that the United States. Uh, came out in the second half because it was the exact same thing of the first half. Possession, forcing passes in the middle.
2: Again, it was exactly what Jamaica wanted. They, they want they they wanted that and they wanted that that chance. And they got that chance off that off that uh, corner kick that they scored off of. And that really Watson. Kinda, yeah, that Javon Watson, the former uh, F C Dallas player, um, and that really I think gave the Jamaicans a lot more confidence. I mean, I think the performance already had given them confidence, and they already just beat Mexico. So why wouldn't they be confident? I mean, they kept US- USA at bay until the 88th minute.
3: Yeah. And, you know, that goal was was their, I think, first shot on goal, if I remember. The first half, they had no shots on goal. They came out, Timmy Howard. Um, actually Landon Donovan finally providing some insight. <laughs> uh it was talking Your boy Landon, my man. boy Landon finally breaking through. <laughs> he uh he was talking about how Howard for a long time used to put, you know, a person in the near post in the far post. Right. Now nobody was covering that far post.
2: It was a deep, it was a huge mistake by Jordan Morris if you watched. Yeah. it just completely turned off and like but he was he was marking him yeah. too and he's completely turned off and you're sitting there and you're like what the hell well Donovan was telling me or telling me telling you he, uh, yeah. telling
3: me personally texting me no I'm just kidding but was telling the broadcast how Timmy Howard made a mistake there by not putting somebody near post and far post the goalkeepers now trend not to do that which I think is so stupid just air on the side of caution what's it gonna cost by putting somebody making the goal Two feet smaller. And that way he could sit there and shove his body at. And then well, who knows if Lu, Luis Suarez in 2010 hand, handled the ball clearly. He still somehow, that handle of the ball was one of the most brilliant plays in World Cup history. Right. Because guess who won that game? Uruguay. Right. Right. So and That, uh, when you put players on the line. I don't think Suarez is handled off a corner kick. I don't think that came off directly there. But Timmy Howard made a mistake by not putting somebody uh, on that far post. Watson scored. And that kind of flipped on the game. You saw the momentum wasn't necessarily stolen from the U.S., but it started to roll Jamaica's way. And then you started to get this feeling like, oh, Jamaica could really steal this game. There was a
2: few shots where I thought, like, there was a few opportunities where I thought they were going to take it. Yeah. I really thought they were. And as a United States fan, you kind of got a little bit worried. Yeah, like –
3: and the atmosphere at the stadium wasn't necessarily the strongest either. It was no. kind of quiet. It was just kind of like to me, it represented what it was. It was a it was a United States team, a B team of the United States playing Jamaica.
2: I feel like it's like a B plus, U S. Because I mean, they got Bradley Altidore. Okay, a DMC. B plus
3: U S. team playing Jamaica in a Gold Cup final where Jamaica is not even in the hex. So U S. should have won, and if they had. Should have been a domination of Jamaica, I think. Yeah. Make a real statement. This was not a statement. This was lifting a trophy, and everybody goes on about their day the next day.
2: Yeah, like you said, um, they were more talented the United States were, but they just weren't taking advantage of their opportunities at all, and they weren't creating opportunities. And again, I just... That creativity, I feel like it was a carbon copy of the Costa Rican game a little bit. Just no, it was. it was the was exact lacking. same lineup. Yeah, the, the same lineup. Then Dempsey comes on in the latter in the latter stages, provides creativity,
3: and then Morris strikes the goal, who who worked his tail off the entire yeah, game. Yeah, shout
2: out Jordan Morris. Was, it was an incredible. I think performance he played really him. well.
3: He he worked really hard. Deserved the goal. U.S. wins it. Woohoo! So
2: back to where we were Sunday. What does this
3: game mean? Or what does this result mean for the U.S. going I forward? I mean, if
2: we're gonna be technical, if we're gonna be technical, it does mean they have one foot in for the 2021 21. Confederations Cup yes. in, in Qatar. Oh my god! Yeah, two, in Qatar. yeah, we're thinking way too too far. I'm, I'm gonna be out of college by then. But um, yeah, hopefully, two, yeah, hopefully, hopefully. But yeah, 2021. So the Gold Cup runs in two year editions for some reason. I have no idea why. I feel like. If it was a four-year edition, it'd be so much better. Like, it'd add more what prestige. Mean, yeah, it would. That's mean why a lot you have more. a B team playing in the uh, Gold Cup because no one cares about this Gold Cup. It's the next year's Gold Cup that's more important. If, if yeah, anything. no, absolutely. Well, not the next year. The twenty nineteen World Gold Cup. So, I don't know why they do it like that, but it ha- They do have one foot in the door for that for that Confederation Cup. I mean, outside of that, good job B team. Maybe look at some prospects for the. Uh, yeah, but. I would would say
3: it doesn't answer any questions. It just opens up more questions.
2: Yeah, what's the U.S. going to do when all those guys get old as hell? Well, not even
3: that. What are you doing in the midfield? Because Kellen Acosta, I think the the stage was a little too big for him still. I think he forced again. Sometimes he got lost in that midfield. Michael Bradley played well. He forced a couple things too. Uh Darlington Nabi, you can see he definitely has that skill. Now, I would say for Michael Bradley and Kellen Costa it's a little bit unfair to judge them because they're used to having Pulisic sit in front of them exactly. and create all the have uh, creator the, in the Yeah, the midfield. creator in that midfield while Kellen Costa and Michael Bradley can kind of play off of him and be more of that command, connector kind connector, of connector, yeah, yeah, that that transition from defense to midfield to, to right. the forwards. Um, Jordan Morris—is he? Do you think Bruce Arena is really gonna look at him?
2: I think he will, honestly. Um, I wish you'd look at Dom Dwyer a little bit more. Um, right. I like Dom Dwyer a little bit more than, than Jordan Morris, even though Jordan Morris has been part of the national team for a long time. Um, and he's a hard worker, really, really one of the most stealthy, fast people I've ever seen. Like you see him, he, he doesn't look fast at all, but he is one of the fastest people you'll you'll see. Yeah. On on the national team, but I don't know if he's. I don't know if he's like a four that can play on the World Cup stage. Maybe as like a backup potentially, but I mean, I don't. I I think he will get called up for the 2018 team squad, but I don't think he's at that level. I,
3: I I need to look at how many European-based players are out there because I could name Yedlin, Johnson, Pulisic, Pulisic Cameron, Cameron Brooks. That's five.
2: Uh, Timmy Chandler.
3: Timmy Chandler. Bobby Wood. Bobby Wood. Okay, now we're at seven. Like, you could you could make an argument all those seven players deserve to start.
2: Right, exactly. And then
3: what are you going to do with Kellen Costa, these borderline nagby? So, are...
2: I mean, I would say this this Gold Cup was a little bit of an audition for those guys, for to, for those bench spots in the 2018 World yeah,
3: Cup. Yeah, bench spots, sure. But I think we'll see what the MLS, you know, who knows? They, they There's still plenty of time to grow, and... Right. Who knows? It could be a 17 year old kid who's at Borussia Dortmund, and nobody knows of and it him. He comes out of nowhere. He comes out of nowhere. Yeah, so, exactly. Suddenly, but, you could have you know a, a massive deal where you have two Christian Pulisic. Then we, if we had two Christian Pulisic, I would be like,
2: are we trying to duplicate one of them, or like, are we, we should to clone duplicate? him? That's a. Get his skill I would do it.
3: Clone his DNA. I don't know. But <laughs> in all sincerity, we, the United States needs more of that. More well, than anything. Well, obviously
2: more creativity. I mean, you have two three I want to say three creative players well on the on the Gold Cup roster at least. Well, no, I'm just talking in general. Pulisic, I think, like is one the of US the US roster. Yeah. Pulisic is one of the most creative players. Then we then Dempsey. And then I would say Nagby.
3: Yeah, but, okay, Dempsey, old. He's not, he can't do it for 90 minutes, so already scratch him. Right. So then you have Nagby, Pulisic, right? Yeah. So if Nagby is really create the creator, then shouldn't we have seen more of that in this Gold Cup?
2: Yeah, I feel like that. But, I mean, this is, I, I don't know, Bruce Arena was tinkering around the lineup a lot. He but, did. He did. Putting different starters and whatnot. Yeah. Like, well, Thanks, man. No I, mean, I think a
3: huge question not talked about is, what are we going to do with 38-year-old Tim Howard? He's going to— Tim Howard.
2: Well, I mean, at this rate, let's be honest here. You he, might as well start. He's going to start in the World Cup. I'm going to be honest. I, that's that's the path that we're head, heading towards. It won't be—I be, mean, we need to go past that. We have so many great young goalkeepers coming up. I think we need to go past that, Tim Howard, but he's probably going to be starting in the World Cup. Let's be honest here. And I don't like that from a USA standpoint, to be honest.
3: No, absolutely, and we we're gonna have more thoughts coming up uh, in future episodes. Oh yeah, for especially sure, especially with the World Cup qualifiers in, uh, on September first. But up next, we're gonna be joined by Jared Mickles of the U.S. Soccer Academy. Yeah, this
2: one's a cool one right here.
3: Yeah, definitely some great insight. Joining us right now is U.S. Soccer Development Academy Director, Jared Miklas. In 2014, he took uh, responsibility for the strategic vision of the academy and establishing program initiatives. He also oversees the program's administrative and business operations. And lastly, he implements all aspects of the program. Thank you so much for joining us here on Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast.
0: Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for the invite, gentlemen.
3: So uh, the academy system is... Well, it's relatively known in the soccer community, but as far as it comes into detail, it's it's still very uh, thin. Uh, do you mind elaborating on the structure of the academy system and how important it is to the development of the game here in the United States?
0: Absolutely. The development academy was started in 2007, so we just finished our 10th year uh, here in the month of July, and we still do agree that we see it in its infancy stages in terms of the potential that the program has overall. It was first structured in 2007 with two combined age groups, U15-16 and U17-18. That was to focus on a group of players that was manageable at the time. And as the academy has grown both in its number of years and in the in the scope, the goal has been to increase the influence of the player development initiatives that exist within the academy and kind of the standards that exist that are based around player development. And over time, our goal has been to take it from the older age groups and drive that younger and ultimately drive it into zone one, which is what we call U12 and younger. So for the first time this past year, the academy had U12 programming, and now it has a pathway that has gone from U18 all the way to U12. And this coming year, we'll have six age groups, and that's been a long-term evolution of combined age groups and single age groups. So we'll start with U12 and have single age groups at U13, U14, and 15 as well. And then we'll have two combined age groups at U17 and U19.
3: So how many youth are part of this program?
0: This past year we had just under 11,000 players that registered on the boys' side of the academy. We'll add one uh, age group this year, so we'll see a slight influx in the number of boys, so we'll expect that number to be between 11 and 12,000 by the time the year is over. And we're launching a girls development academy across four age groups. So we'll see an additional 5,600 to 6,000 players that will register there. So when you look at the academy program overall, and we see it as as one program based on our player development initiatives and our standards, that program will have between 17,000 and 18,000 players this year.
2: Hey, Jared, Armand here. So what is the overall purpose of the academy system in the United States?
0: The academy is a program that's run by the federation. We have academy clubs that have applied and been accepted to be in the program. These clubs have a goal and an aspiration to develop players in their home markets. The program is the structure that allows them to do so and the competition platform that platform for them and really uh, our federation initiative is to help drive this, this player development initiative forward. And the clubs. In their everyday environment, are actually developing the players. They're the ones that are spending four or five, six days a week training the players and playing games on the weekend as part of our structure. But it, our goal is to provide them that framework and to support the clubs and impact the clubs their everyday environment so that they can develop world-class players.
3: Now, you said it's it's in partnership with the federation. Now, is the academy? supposed to develop players for the national team or is it just to develop players in general
0: so every player has its own has his own or her own pathway so I think there's no one and only specific goal but if we talk about our, our mission which is developing a world-class player that world-class player is going to play for their respective national team um, you know wherever that might be or, or around the world so in our case yes it is ultimately, for the player that reaches the pinnacle to play for our senior national teams. And as part of the academy program, you have players that are playing for the youth national teams. Currently, when you look at uh, a cycle of players in our youth national team from, you know, a a year, we have currently 90% of players on our youth national team rosters that are members of academy clubs. So what we're seeing is that players are being driven to academy clubs based on the standards and the level these clubs are doing a great job of, of developing the players. We're supplementing it with our youth national team program and our training center program, which is a talent identification program as well. And the goal is to drive these players together into one environment where they're playing with and against the best players, coached by the best players, and that's really helping them grow. So whatever the end goal is for that player, whether it you know be, be that they stop at the academy or they play um, you know, post that either professionally or collegiately or eventually internationally. That that's dependent on every player, but ultimately the end goal would be a player that's come through the system that plays for the national team, like we have. You know, so many that will do tonight in our game um, in the Gold Cup.
3: Right, and but is there? From the academy side, is there a emphasis on saying, hey, we since you are in the United States, we'd like for you to play for the United States because there is coming funding coming from the federation? I mean, there's a lot of criticism on that or uh, well, not criticism, but just on clarity on, you know, okay, are we developing players for the national team? Are we developing players just for world class, you know, on that premise?
0: I think that goes back to, to the earlier point that we, we provide the platform that allows the, the player to develop, but ultimately the player and the club in their everyday environment are, are determining what that is. So if you have a, a professional club that has a player in their academy, their ideal goal is probably to develop that player to play for their professional team. Um, that would be a, a, a normal pathway for any player around the world in a, in a youth academy system that's connected to a pro team. So when, if you're talking about you know players in, in different countries, and obviously um, you know, with it being a, a domestic-based program, a large majority of the players in the program are, are obviously going to be eligible for the U.S. team. It gets into a much larger discussion if you're talking about um, what factors that, that might exist for a player that's able to play internationally, and, th- and that just depends on the player's heritage and, and residency and et cetera. But there's a lot of FIFA uh, and ITC rules that dictate where players can play, determining, uh, you know, based on their nationality. So Jared,
2: currently in your opinion, what are the biggest issues facing youth soccer right now?
0: We, you know, we look at the the landscape overall, you know, you're talking about over 4 million players that, you know, exist in this country and that, that number might be be larger than that, but 4 million plus from from registered players from from what we know at this point. You, you know, that's a that's a different challenge than maybe the 20,000 players that will play in the academy this year. There might be some that exists when you look at geography and travel and the size and scope of the country. Um, that, that obviously becomes one challenge. Um, having the, the sport and the program exist over a long period of time that, that exists in other countries that has a real benefit because you have coaches and players that have played, uh, the sport their whole life growing up. So right now we, I think we're, we're faced with this challenge across the entire landscape of, developing better coaches. We think better coaches will develop better players. So it's a major initiative of the Federation to uh, continue to enhance our licensing program and create more opportunities. So when you look at something on the scope that we are and and, and the amount of years that people have, have been, you know, really investing um, from a financial standpoint in the youth game, it's not, uh, you know, something that's, that's on the forefront of development like it is in other areas of the world so i think we've got a couple factors uh, logistically that that make it difficult Uh, and then you have a lot of opportunity in this country there's a lot of sports there's a lot of um choices for for children when they're growing up so that's another dynamic of, of how many players you actually have playing the sport as well
2: so let's narrow it down a little bit what about academy wise what are the issues going on in the on the academy level
0: I think right now we're looking at trying to uh, improve the overall level. The 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 more we can bring up uh, the entire group, the better players that we have playing with with better players. Then that's probably going to be as fast as the system rises. Right now, we have a real challenge with, um, you know, players being able to be in an everyday environment that's professionalized and the challenges that exist either with school and travel and 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 distance that some have, you know, depending on where someone lives. But if you really want to look at what's going to develop a player, it's that consistent everyday environment where you've got everyday training in facilities that allow that to happen that fit within a a player's schedule that doesn't have long travel distances, both for travel and for – I mean, sorry, both for training and for games. So that becomes a real logistic. Uh, I think staffing uh, of clubs, you know, it's not like there's a full-time athletic trainer and a full-time sports psychologist and a – you know, all the support staff that goes along with it, that really helps a, a player develop on and off the field. So looking at what a professional environment looks like, it, it's lacking in terms of, of facilities and staffing and support in those levels. And then just the quality overall of, of the the amount of coaches of where we're at and, and the amount of coaches that we'd like all the players to be able to have, head coaches and assistant coaches that have, you know, gone through the licensing pathway and that have experienced coaching that can provide Uh, education and instruction to these players, that's still, you know, that's still developing. And I think it's at a level where we could increase it and improve it over time.
3: Do you feel personally that you take a lot of responsibility for the development of the youth?
0: I think we as a federation certainly have a, 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 you know, a large part in, in what's happening. We're, we're trying to drive standards that we believe are based on best practices around the world for players to develop. So when you say personally in, in terms of the program and our staff and everyone that has invested so much time and energy into this, we, yeah, we, we do take it personally that this is a, a goal and initiative of the Federation of what we do every day. So we think that we can again provide that platform that's gonna allow it to, to improve and to see if we can improve it at the fastest rate that we can and accelerate that, that timeline.
3: How has the academy system changed since you've taken over?
0: Uh, It's been three years since I've been in the role as the director. I started off as a coach in the academy in the first um, two years of the program, so it's been great to have the perspective of the academy and to watch it evolve over time. I think every year it gets better. Every year we have a, a number of people that are looking at it from an analysis standpoint, whether that be through our technical group, our technical advisors that are supporting the clubs and actually watching games weekend week out, our scouting network, our youth national team coaches that are directly tied into the program, our director of talent identification. You know, there's a number of people that are, are watching these games, and what we're doing and, and what's happened uh, even more so in the last three years is we're trying to take all of this analysis, the data that we get from, you know, from video review uh, and et cetera to determine what it is that we need to prioritize as next steps. So in the last three years, I think, you've seen a, a couple new initiatives which has been to drive into zone 1 so the the establishment of a U12 program we also split the U13 and 14 age groups to be single age because we felt that the the development and maturation of uh, youth male players during that you know 12 to 14 range was very wide ranging so we wanted to to help you know combat relative age effect uh and help bring an awareness to the fact that players are developing at different times at different ages, so having 12 13 and fourteen, and now adding this year fifteen single age it's another big change so the program's grown from five thousand to to eleven thousand players in the last three years and then most recently the the launch of a girls' academy based on ten years of experience on the boys side we we believe it's the right time and um You know, we have the the expertise and the knowledge, we're hiring staff, uh, specifically on the girls side, to launch this program, so in the last three years you've seen, you know, a program in terms of uh, numbers almost triple, and the initiatives that we've done in in terms of supporting it and all the other aspects of of analysis that I talked about that are are really continuing to to improve and increase, which has given us greater insight into what we do next and and how we, we structure the program to make it better every year.
2: Absolutely. But an issue of the Academy program has been at least talked about in the media, especially by Tara Twelman is the pay to play system. How is the Academy addressing that pay to play uh, issue that's been going on recently?
0: That's a great question. And one that I didn't mention as a, as a restrainer earlier. And I think that depending on um, the club and the location, obviously the the individuals playing that, that, that is another challenge and something that, Making it cost-free, it's not going to change next year or the year after that, but having an awareness to the fact that uh, financially uh, that can be a barrier for players to pay, uh, players to play. So reducing that is extremely important to us. We supplement academy uh, investment with a scholarship program that's available to any player that's part of the academy. They can apply for it at the beginning of the year, and we send that money to help uh, supplement clubs. With their, you know, cost of travel and, and, and training, so that's a, a program that we've invested over four hundred thousand dollars in, uh, you know, year after year. We'll continue to do that. We'll look to increase it through some gifts that we're receiving. We're actively um, fundraising for money for scholarships that we can, you know, turn around and, and put right back into players. In addition to that, we've encouraged clubs to bring down the cost for for players within their club, and specifically with these academy players who have to travel. So we've seen a uh, uh, you know, an increased effort by clubs. We have over 20 clubs that are cost-free uh, for the full pathway of, uh, out of the 73 clubs that we had this past year. So that's obviously a start. The professional clubs are driving this in terms of not only their funding for this, but the additional resources they're offering, some of them with school-based programs or residencies. So that, that's been a real positive. And when we looked at the average cost of a player over the last year, um, every single division – had uh, made some improvement on the average cost per player from the year prior, and I think the average, um, you know, was over $500 in terms of the reduction in cost per player across across the division. So we're we're seeing clubs have an awareness to it and make efforts to improve it.
3: Awesome. Finally, here, where where do you see the academy going in the next 10 years under your uh, direction?
0: It's a good question and one that we're talking about every day and you know sometimes you can see a month ahead and and you try to look ten years ahead because you you want to be able to to plan for that. I think it's hard to say exactly where it's going to be. Um, we've got a incredible team of committed people here that I get to work with every day, not only in the academy but but outside of it in our all of our sport development units. so what we've seen is a is a real commitment from you know different groups that support the academy from youth national teams from high performance from talent ID, um, coaching education, referees, we look at it as one single focus of sport development, of developing players, coaches, and referees. And where I see it going is, is more of an integration between these departments, the academy setting, uh, the standard and the model uh, similar to, to things like player development initiatives for zone one, that we're setting that standard for, for zone two for players that are between 12 and, and 19 years of age. And hopefully that this becomes a model that's good for, for all players that are on a pathway to, to continuing to develop in zone two. And that this academy model can be uh, replicated in, in other leagues and other programs around the country and uh, you know, through different member organizations to, to have a pathway for every player who aspires to develop for them to be able to do that on whatever level that is.
2: Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jared. I know you're a busy guy, and I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of the day to join us on the podcast today.
0: You're welcome, guys. Thanks for your attention to the to the youth program and good luck with the podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Take care.
2: Up next in the pod, we got Fred Kaiser to join us on the show. Joining us today is Fred Kaiser. Fred has been the head soccer coach at Frisco Liberty High School for eleven years and is currently the Region Two director of the Texas Association of Soccer Coaches. Fred, how are you today, man? Doing well, thank you. How are you gentlemen doing? Doing good,
3: doing good. good. Well, we gotta clear up. Uh coach over here did uh was my economics teacher in high school as well as my coach freshman year. Yeah, so. he was
2: my coach too, but like
3: So it's not like we're talking to a complete stranger. We I mean we, we kind we've of known are. him. Kind you of. remember us. I do
4: remember you. <laughs> for good or bad
3: <laughs> but um no he just listened to the interview with uh the u.s development academy jared Nicholas. yep and uh let's, let's go straight to it i mean what would you th- what are your thoughts your initial thoughts on the initial whole thoughts
4: interview. i was impressed um I mean, he, he did a, fan- a fantastic job of explaining the structure explaining the development what's changed over the last several years i'd love to hear more what they're looking at going forward um but uh, I mean, overall, he's obviously an impressive person, and uh, I was happy with the interview. It was interesting to find out some of that information. What did you think about
3: uh, the? I mean, w- we talked to you before we did the interview to get some more background information as far as the academy system and and the gripes of it of being a a father, a high school coach, uh, you know, having gone through and seeing all this all the development of the academy in the last ten years because that's that's when he said it, it's really starting to pick up only in the last couple of years, but it's been 10 years since they, they've initially started this academy program. Mm-hmm. Um, but the pay-to-play, well, pay yeah. I that's, think. Uh,
4: that's a big thing for me, and it's I have been in, at Liberty, and we were affected by it when they first started the academy program and the development program. Um, and the changes they've made in the last three or four years specifically, I thought, really improved it and improved a lot of people's opinions of it overall. When they first started the program, um, a lot of the developmental players weren't getting weren't being tapped to play, so they, they got tapped as a DP, um, which means they weren't allowed to play high school, and, and I'll talk about that, I guess, in a second. Um, but those who were tapped uh, as a DP weren't allowed to play high school, but then they're not getting to showcase their talent in any way, shape, or form in academy games. And you had teams with rosters of 60, 70 kids where you only had your 15, 16, 17 players that were getting on the field, and in the meantime, those players are being left out. Um, when they initially started the academy, it wasn't mandatory um, for players to sit out high school. Um, it was up to individual clubs on who won well, to do in that. school
2: Frisco won that, right? Like, they won the state title with uh, multiple academy members. Oh, uh, yeah,
4: yes. Um, yeah, Wakeland won uh, with uh, the Dallas Texans. Um, I believe they had 10 of their national championship players um, on that team.
3: And you said four of them were actually on the bench.
4: Yes, um, th- they were stacked. Um, th- th- they had a couple players that were solar Chelsea, a couple FC Dallas and things like that. But, yeah, some of those players who were good enough to play for the Texans national championship team weren't good enough to start Um, over a couple of the other players. Um, It's not that they weren't good. It's just that's how stacked the the area was, and they were a fantastic team, um, well-coached. They did did a fantastic job. Um, So it was up to the individual clubs there, so you didn't have any standardization of, hey, some of the Texans could play, but FC Dallas couldn't, for instance. Um, And I do understand why FC Dallas did that, because FC Dallas was one of the very few clubs, mentioned earlier, pay-to-play, that foots the bill for all their academy players. Right, right, right. so a a club like fc dallas when they did that they're showing commitment to the players um in my view same level that the player showing to the uh to the club that's that's always been my big issue um biggest issue i should say is not that they can't play for us i mean we'd love to have those players but it's not that big of a deal but if a player is showing that level of commitment to a club i believe that the club should show that commitment back in terms of hey, we're going to cover your cost of travel. You're not going to have to pay your fees, things like that. SC Dallas from the get-go has done that. Um, and so, you know, it makes it really easy to support there. We do need to have a restructuring, or we did, um, and, and they're in their process of doing that. Just the development of our players appears to be behind the rest of the world. So um, the United States did need a restructuring, um, and it's gone through its growing pains, but um, they're doing a lot. I believe that the academy structure is doing a lot better job overall Um, of, you know, now a developmental player that, you know, a team's not allowed to roster 70 of them. A developmental player has to have a certain percentage of playing time. Um, So that way, you know, if they are, again, they're making the commitment to the club, then they are going to get showcased as opposed to just get tapped. So that let's, you know, one club can just say, hey, this kid's going to be an academy kid just so they don't have to play against them or just so that, you know, they can do what they want with it. So um, going forward, I'd really like to see something of, you know, the pay to play go away, at least at the academy level. Um, where uh, the the club, you know, the, the club is supporting the player and showing them, you know, showing them the same level of commitment that the players um, showing to the club by because it's a lot of money opportunities. Absolutely, it is. When you take into the travel, especially, I mean, if you North Texas has three teams, and that might be going down, but you know, they have to travel down to a, you know, San Antonio or up to Colorado or to Seattle in order to play uh, academy games. Those, those costs can add up for a family, um, and so you know, it's. It's it's a lot to give up and it's a lot of commitment. Um, and then, you, but you do have your clubs that are are footing the bill for those players. Um, that's fantastic. It also would it also helps. Um, again, use FC Dallas. You know they opened up their El Paso branch, so right. they are um, able to to feed into a demographic that may not be able to afford. Um, know flying to dallas or moving to dallas in order to play for their programs and things like that um where they're able to they're able to locate that talent i'd like to see more of that i'd like to see a bigger expansion of that obviously your mls clubs have a little bit better ability of doing that um but just an expansion of that where you know if if you're going to ask for 10 months of commitment from a player um and things like that and what they're giving up then you're showing commitment back in terms of paying for it so I mean, Armand, feel free to comment, but you just said developing
3: U.S. soccer players. Now, Jared went on what I feel gave kind of a –
4: It was kind of a mixed response.
2: I mean, I feel like at some point he was like, yeah, USA, and then at some point he wasn't. And what are your thoughts on that?
4: If you check their mission, um, it it doesn't say anything specific about American development. Right, right. Right. Um, So if they're looking just to develop, I mean, that's fine. And and they, they do give a lot of autonomy to the clubs. Um, so you know, it's they have their application process in order to become an academy club um, or academy team, um, but they do have a lot of autonomy with the clubs. And as he pointed out, the MLS teams use it as a farm system for their players. Um, you know, when the academy was introduced to us a decade ago, it – uh, the understanding that a lot of coaches had, I, I, me specifically, but I and talking to a lot of other coaches, was this is what we're going to be using to develop American players so that we can compete.
2: I mean, that would I think be like the automatic assumption because when the U.S. Soccer is funding it, I mean, that's what. I mean, that's what I would assume if U.S. soccer was funding a uh, program like that. So, uh, But I mean,
4: they, they have a broader mission, it appears, where they're just trying to have good soccer and good development in the United States, regardless I, of citizenship or I wonder if he, ability to play for the U.S. national team. That's if, fine, too.
3: Yeah, if he gave the, gave the answer just so he wouldn't have people up his butt on the sense that— oh, you're developing just America, America, but in, in, the, in the political climate that we are. That sounds
2: kind of wrong if you're saying, oh, you're developing American, America. I mean, at least in like a PR perspective. Yeah, yeah.
3: and I think he gave the safe answer like, no, well, we, we hope they play for the national team, the U.S. national team, but, you know, we give respects to the individual and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah.
4: Well, I mean, it's also, the answer he gave is in line with what their mission statement was. Right. And it's not specific to U.S. Um, to US national team. It's just... Soccer in the United States in general, so I'm I, I could support them on that one, but uh, I, I really, I mean, we should be focusing on our players. I don't, I don't really think like a, and talked about this before, but like a, a Bayern Munich or Dortmund or Chivas or something like that. If they're developing players and then that player goes off and plays for another country, I'm not sure how happy those clubs are um, about that. Um, we have benefited, um, yeah. As well Green, Green, uh, Polsek um but uh i mean we're we're benefiting from it as well so it's it's good to have our players de- being developed in foreign countries too that are, are a bit more um structured and have a bit more infrastructure in place um and time and tradition and ability um so you know sending our players to foreign countries or the parents or however it works out <laughs> to to have uh to to get uh that uh, opportunity that's good too i mean uh Heidman's another great example of yeah. that um so i believe he was 15 when he went to england right um he's still over there now playing um so um but uh, that's you know you have that opportunity and that's a good opportunity to take advantage
3: of why hasn't the u.s developed i mean christian pulisic is uh, to me already the goat the greatest american player i think he his creativity and his presence on the field is unlike any what you've seen Yeah, from we any talked other about America.
2: that in the, the Costa Rican game. Like we saw without Pulisic there was a gap in creativity un- until Dempsey came on, so I think he is probably the most creative out right, there
3: Right, but is does that stem from just a cultural of not playing soccer from the age of one or is that a coaching problem where does the root of the issue come to these americans because yeah josie altador he's technically gifted he's tall he's fast he's physical he's strong all this but you still like where is that creativity where you see from the streets of you know brazil spain mexico these this creativity where where do you
4: think that. I think it's one of one of the. It's going to sound negative, but it's not meant to be. It's one of the but one of the pitfalls of being in the United States, where we have so many opportunities to do so many different things. Um, if you look at a lot of those countries where soccer is the big thing, um, they don't have the infrastructure. They're not playing basketball. They're All not right. playing football. They're not playing hockey. Um, now some of your countries are i mean your european countries if you're 6 foot 9 or you're dirk Nowinski or something like that then you know you're you're probably playing basketball that is an opportunity and you you are seeing the growth of of basketball across the entire globe but the United States, we have so many opportunities for so, for many of our fantastic athletes to have other opportunities and, honestly, higher-paying opportunities. I mean, sure, this is an economics yeah, teacher absolutely. in right. me pointing this out. But if if I'm a fantastic—Jay Ajay who graduated from Liberty, is a perfect example of this. If he could have gone pro in the United States in soccer or gone pro in football—
3: You're picking football. You're picking
4: football. Oh, for sure. With all um, which, yeah. which he did. I mean, his, his contract there is going to be much larger than what it was for an MLS team. Um, now on, on the global stage, and once you start bringing in your Bundesliga, you start looking at EPL, you start looking at La Liga on things like that, well, those massive contracts uh, in Russia as well, those massive contracts are larger than N- NFL contracts, larger than NBA contracts, um, but you still have things like Major League Baseball. Um, those are massive contracts as well. Well, guaranteed. At, at NBA now, uh, NBA guaranteed contracts are going through NBA. the roof. So... If you, if I can make twenty five million dollars a year doing that, is there and you guys may know this better than me? Is there an individual MLS player that's earning twenty five million dollars a year in a oh, contract? Absolutely nope. not. You can
3: not you close. could put a list of four players and you probably just get to twenty. And that'd be the four highest paid players. Yeah. So I
4: mean, I mean people respond to incentives. Um, Money is a very big incentive. So if I you know if I see a LeBron James, you know I see a Steph Curry. Um, I see what they're doing. I see, you know, LeBron James is probably close to being a billionaire now um with all of his uh with all of his endorsement deals and all that. Yeah. That's what I see as an American. Well, you know, it's there's a bit more sex appeal to doing that and there's there's a bit more financial incentive to do it. Um so we have a lot of different avenues where you can be a fantastic athlete, and it's not just soccer, unlike a lot of the other countries where, like you said, culturally, from birth, we're playing soccer from the time we're born. That's what we see. It's part of our cultural identity. Look in Argentina, look at Brazil, um, look at uh, look at Mexico, um, and this is just in Central South America here, or I guess North and South America there. <laughs> um, but uh, so- soccer is a sport, um, so... As, you know, as baseball expands, as football expands, I mean, football's looking at China. Football plays games in England. Football, NFL plays games in Mexico City now trying to to expand it. It's still not soccer, but, I mean, they're doing what they can. You've seen the explosion of basketball since the first Dream Team with Magic and Michael and Larry Bird and John Stockton. Um, That was a birth, I mean, that was really a, a rebirth of basketball throughout the entire world and. Now the United States actually has to field a really, really good team in order to compete. Otherwise, the Spanish are going to bury us. The Argentinians might beat us. Um, things like that. With you know, with that expansion there, um, it might be taking up a little bit more of the soccer market. But I mean, nobody's going to confuse Mexico for being an NFL country. Oh no way! It, it, it's soccer through and yeah. through. Um, so we, we're competing with that. You know, where it's where soccer is embedded in the culture of a lot of these countries. We're doing a good job. I mean, so- soccer, as it has been for the last several decades, is by far the, the most participated in sport uh, for for kids, for youth. Um, but what we start seeing is at 10, 11, 12, once more opportunities open up, um, then players are going to different sports too. Um, good and bad, but, uh, I mean, we'd really like to keep some of our top athletes. I mean, imagine – I mean the pipe dream, but like a LeBron James or a Terrell Owens or a Des Bryant. <laughs> imagine those guys on the field oh, on the soccer it. field. I mean, with their kind of Steph Curry with you know a LeBron James, he's he's a monster. And but imagine those players, right? But you are talking about the United States
3: physical attribute. I'm, my question is football. There is not a lot of creativity. Yeah, as a quarterback, you need to know where the plays are going. As a running back, you need to know what hole to go through. Fair enough. As far as creativity, the only sport, I think two sports I really compare is hockey and basketball where you have multiple people. Well, the coaches have less
4: impact during a game in those sports. Sure. Um I can't call a timeout when I'm coaching. No, right. no. Um absolutely. I'm not calling the plays into my quarterback or to my defensive backs, you know. Um if all of a sudden the other team is just starting to route us, I, I can't call that now in college. You can. They have timeouts. But um, I'm not calling a timeout in order to you know, stem the tide. Um, soccer players have to be more creative. Soccer players, honestly, have to be more intelligent because they are the ones who have to make those decisions. The only time that a coach really impacts a game, well, is before when you're preparing for it, potentially halftime, at halftime. Right. And then when you, make, is. when you make a substitution. Oh, yeah. So I mean, that's the bottom line. That's the only real way a coach is going to impact actual um, actual in-game decision-making processes there. So the players have to be more creative. The players have to be more intelligent um, because they can't rely much on somebody else doing that. Um, so in terms of creativity specifically to the United States, uh, getting back to our, your original question, I don't know. Um, I thought it was interesting to note um, – in your interview with with the academy director it's you know we don't have the number of coaches or, or high quality coaches or high level coaches that we want yeah i will to talk about coaching like about that. What,
3: what yeah i would say what makes a high quality coach if it's is it just the the coaching, license the license that separates these and, and these people's I eyes mean, in, in,
4: in a lot of people's eyes yeah i mean the, the licensing is important um and, and the licensing seems important because it says hey you've met a you've met a criteria you've shown mastery in this especially right. when you're getting your a licenses and then you, like your advanced nationals and premier diplomas uh for nscaa who also does a fantastic job um of of training coaches um so yes and no but uh it, it's really honestly through ussf it's cost prohibitive for a lot of us to to go through the licensing through program um, you're talking
2: about the cost they're like crazy
4: it's uh, it, it's high um and I, that serves two functions, I think. One, it actually pays for what you're doing, uh, but it also keeps it also keeps folks out who don't potentially right. want to make that. I mean, it does show it shows a big commitment, um, right? In the way they've restructured the licenses for USSF, it's a big time commitment as well. Um, but it's also why a lot more folks are going through NSCAA um, because their licensing structure isn't as cost prohibitive. Um, it seems to be a bit more open, um, and it's it's you know. Even though we have a coaching shortage um, overall for the amount of players that we have and for what the Developmental Academy would like to do, at the same time, it's exceedingly restrictive to get your B and get your A licenses now. Um, I know several people who are highly qualified who couldn't get, who didn't get their, or who weren't accepted in, to get their A license um, because they're not specifically with an Academy program. So um, now, as time passes and as the restructuring is, has taken its course, It'll open up more of those coaches. But I, I think, I mean, I, I know USSF has partnered with um, NSCAA for the C licenses and below. But um, as time goes on, potentially, um, you know, that's one of those things where uh, they could combine more with uh, NSCAA and y- use the resources. NSCAA is the largest coaching organization in the world. Use the resources and the structures that are in place there to stop the bottlenecks uh right now of of your people of your folks trying to go through the licensing structure and go through and get their b and their a um it's a potential resource and i you know i don't know what i'm talking about on that but i would wager i'd wager to guess that they've had those discussions and i know they have because NSCAA is like i said doing season below now um in partnership with ussf so um They're growing. They're figuring out. um, They're figuring out their bottlenecks. They're figuring out, you know, um, the the problems that they have, and and they're addressing them. It'll take time, and, you know, personally as a coach and someone who wants to go through and get more licenses and things like that, for me personally, it's a little bit frustrating, but... It's one of those things that live with it. Um, mm-hmm. As they figure it out, they're in uncharted territory. They're trying to figure out the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right, there. And, right. and it looks like, you know, they're making really good strides in trying, to, in trying to fix those things. But everything came to a pretty big bottleneck when they started restructuring with the A licenses um, specifically. And they kind of put had to put things on hold there for, for those people. But, I mean, if you have a coaching shortage, it makes sense to reach out. And educate more, more coaches. coaches. One of those things would be maybe not making it so cost prohibitive, um, or yeah. opening it up, pulling down that cost. Um, but you know, that, again, that's the economics teacher in me.
2: I mean, it kind of seems like there's was a little pay to play for coaching a little bit. If that makes any sense, pay to pay, pay to, to coach. coach, right? Like
4: we start a new trend there. I mean, well, I mean, they talked about the scholarship program they had in place for USSF. I know NSCAA does that as well through their foundation, um, but that's. Uh, uh, Kind of at those higher levels, I don't know how many scholarships they offer there, but again, if, if the problem is we don't have enough coaches, then it seems you'd kind of productive to not to, to keep it, it that high, but at the same time, I don't know what their cost structure looks like in terms of how much it's actually costing them to train those coaches when they redeveloped the a license there's a lot of video analysis that goes in there, so they have to pay people to have a look at that kind of stuff. so do you think they might be addressing all these problems internally? It might just be this is where we're currently at, and hopefully down the road, you know. As we have the structure in place, the, the the cost goes down. But right now, it's it's pretty difficult.
3: Do you think I'm not trying to you know uh, I don't know how to describe it, but don't take this in the wrong way. But we, if we're having this shortage of coaching, as Jared mentioned, do you, why why is that even that important? If we don't even as a culture accept soccer as one of the main sports, are these coaches always are? I, Is there that big of an
4: impact of a coach on a player if, you know... At the youth development, more so. And I'll be honest, by the time players get to me, and like with the MPSL team, um, but by the time the players get to me, if they haven't already had a solid foundation of basic skills, there's not much I can do by the time they hit high school. Yeah. Um, I can continue to train with them and work and improve them, but they'll never be top-level players either. Um, It does start young. Um, so I'd say I'd say the youth coaching and this it's probably and um, it, it, they said they're, they said USSF is expanding down to the U twelve level as well. Okay, well I mean the youth coaching is really that's going to be the important time um, when you're doing that. One thing I'd be interested in seeing, um, especially with the as they drop the ages down for the academy where they're going U twelve, U thirteen, U fourteen. Are how many more soccer-specific injuries are going to be getting? Um, that's something that you see a lot now um, when players—I mean, players or kids—are starting to specialize at a younger, younger age, and they're getting overuse injuries because the days of "Hey, I'll play football during this season, soccer during this season, then baseball during that season" now you're starting to see younger pl- or players at a younger and younger age getting uh, yeah. sport-specific injuries oh, here, here, here. because of overuses there. I'm sure USSF is modifying that schedule where they're not they're, where they don't have the U12 players doing the same thing as the U18s, U19s. That'd be terrible, Hopefully not. Um, yeah, that'd be terrible. Too. But um, I mean, coaching at the young at, at the at the younger age um, in ter- in in development. is exceedingly important it's still important as you get older because as the the younger players are working more the technical aspects than the tactical aspects and as they get older you're starting to see more and more uh, tactical aspects you know of you know these are the responsibilities of the defender your pressure cover balance stuff like that but that stuff isn't really all that important if the player can't pass a ball right they they can't they can't receive a flighted ball um, things like that. So, I mean, just working the technique um, at those younger ages, and, and I know USSF and uh, NSCA are both doing that where it's, you know, they're really trying to focus on on technique, 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 technique until, um, you know, they're reaching 10, 11, 12, 13 years, and then they go more into the tactical side of it. So um, your technical coaches, I'd say, are more important at the younger levels and then your tactical coaching at the upper levels. Um, but in terms of fixing the creativity issue, um, a lot of that uh
2: i i just don't know the answer to you do yeah i mean it, it's it's definitely a tough, tough I like it's a more individual thing like for creativity like it, like you said like i think it's more of a cultural thing like the creativity and whatnot i mean i don't i don't know if you can really teach i think creativity just comes at, at a certain point if that makes any sense
4: yes and no i mean I, I, to, to a certain extent yes and no yeah. And you're gonna have you're gonna have your your just your flat-out natural ability right um but in order to master something, it's your ten thousand hour rule. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the more you're doing it, and the more you're practicing, the more deliberate practicing you're doing. I mean, ten thousand hours of stupid practice is a waste of time. But ten thousand hours of deliberate practice, where you're doing several things and becoming a master of it, once you're you know you're comfortable in your basic techniques, and then branching out into the creativity, um, I, I think you can teach some creativity. Um, but you're also going to have your natural players that are just naturally more creative and better than everyone else.
3: No, it's it's. it's... It's a, a sticky situation for the U.S. Academy because they have they're pouring in a lot of money from the federation, and technically, some of these players are eligible to go play from Mexico or mm-hmm. France if they wanted to. For anywhere, basically, practically anywhere where FIFA sanctions them to go. As as
4: and as he said, you know, it's FIFA's decision on who can play where. So, I and mean, that's not really U.S. accepts. Right. I, I just don't understand why there's no emphasis. Like, well, you know what? We're going to give you the scholarship, but.
3: We are going to make sure, first, we'll go to FIFA. Do you have the right background to play? I mean, as bad as that sounds, but if, if you're going to the FCA Dallas Academy system, you're going to, uh, who cares? That's that FC Dallas is flipping the bill. Then they're not going to get money from the Federation. But if the Federation is supporting a, uh, an academy in Houston, for example, not outside the Houston Dynamo, it should be geared to f- developing players for the national team. Especially when we are behind the other countries, and we're not just behind the other countries; we are still miles behind these other nations. i mm-hmm.
4: it does say something. At the same time, though, that you know some of these players are coming here and being developed. If they're good, I mean, they are good enough to be playing for a, for a national team, and they were developed here in the United States. That is I mean, if you look at that from a USSF standpoint, that does bring credibility to the, the way the USSF is doing things right. and, and the way the academy system. Hey, it's actually working when hey, we have a guy that's playing for Honduras or that's playing for Mexico or something like that, and they were developed in the United States. It does give the United States a bit more credibility when it comes to that. Um, I honestly don't know the finances of USSF and in terms of how much money they're putting um, in different places, how much they're supporting those. Well, they have a $100 million surplus. I mean, yeah, they do have
3: this huge surplus that. But you know.
4: what what are they doing? You know, I, I don't know what they're doing with that money, though, either. I don't know. No, you know, yeah, no yeah. If, yeah, they, if know. they are putting it, like you said, if FC Dallas is putting the entire bill without help from USSF, then, hey, use it as a farm system. But if USSF is putting the bill for a Houston Academy, I, I don't know why we keep picking on Houston. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Everyone hates Houston, so I mean, that, that's be fine. But, uh, but if they are footing the bill then maybe there are conditions but uh, for me it goes back specifically to what the state admission was for USSF had their stated mission been what we are going to do with the academy system is to develop players for the national team then that's that's what they should be doing but their stated mission is to develop better soccer throughout the United States well they're keeping their word and doing it the way that they're doing it so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean they they are keeping in line
2: with their stated mission all right coach Thank you so much for joining us today. I yeah, appreciate it. It was awesome having you on the show, and you gave us a different perspective that we really aren't hearing as much of the I coaching mean, aspect. Yeah, we
3: had you know the director who oversees everything, and then you know you have a coach who has to actually deal deal with everything exactly. With so it, it's it's two perspective you don't often see.
4: Well, I appreciate you guys having me. Anytime, Coach. All right, have Anytime. a good night
3: Wow. Yeah, it was uh, definitely an interesting dialogue today.
2: Yeah, we had a lot to digest over those two interviews.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. Listeners, subscribe on iTunes. Real easy. We're on Google Play. Yeah, we're on Google Podcast. Play now, so
2: you're an- Android people. You can't complain. You have no excuse. So you have to listen to us now. Yes,
3: you have to. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Pod. Yeah, we, re-
2: we usually repost all the MLS news and all the US latest national team news. So, I mean, give us a follow. We have and then follow the show, your... Uh, so two favorite posts too i mean i post interesting stuff i don't know about steven i mean
3: i'll get i'll give you the straight you know how it is yeah I n- no bs
2: just some swiss bias you know how Stephen is.
3: <laughs> don't get me started with my swiss
2: man your swiss chocolate's good though
3: oh it's very good but uh we got plenty of more on our next podcast i can already tell you it's gonna be a little more MLS- it's been a crazy theme.
2: week in mls man so it's Definitely gonna make for a fantastic. We also party. got
3: the all star break, so see you next week. Time, not week, next time. Next time. Bye.
1: A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you can save at penfed.org slash or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.